Hey everyone, this is Jared of the Synautical Podcast. If you're into holistic health, philosophy, and spirituality, come check out and listen to my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and elsewhere. Welcome to another Fit Wallet segment of the Lifelong Health and Fitness Conversations podcast. The Fit Wallet series focuses on that other aspect of fitness in our lives financial fitness. In this episode, I interview James McDaniel, a Texas real estate investor who made his first successful property investment at just 19 years old. During this interview, James offers advice on ways to begin investing in real estate, his thoughts on the current single-family home market, his forecasts across the housing market, and his personal goals to build wealth in real estate. Now on to our conversation. So James, I'd like to welcome you to my podcast. I spoke with you recently. We met on the Texas Real Estate Investing Association Facebook group, and I was looking for someone with real estate investing experience, and uh, you contacted me to give me some of your experience to share with listeners. So thank you for joining me, James. Thank you for having me. So how did you get started with real estate investing? Sure. So I guess... um... I started when I was 19. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing, um, but it started off as a house hack. I bought a mobile home and I started renting out my rooms and the rent from the rooms uh, paid my mortgage and then also paid uh, all my utilities. So I was living for free. Uh, that's how I initially started out. And then um, I ended up later uh, owner financing that same mobile home to a, to a buyer as well. And then I didn't really get into it again for several years. Uh, I didn't really have a mentor. I didn't really know where to start, but I knew I always wanted to. And then finally in uh, 2015, I decided to start looking into it and started consuming videos like crazy on YouTube. And uh, then I got into wholesaling at that point. Okay. Yeah. I've seen your uh, YouTube videos. Um, I see you're in a uniform. Do you currently work in law enforcement? Yeah, I do. I'm uh, I work uh, with the Travis County uh, Sheriff's office. Okay. So do you have a long-term goal of uh, having real estate ultimately be your main source of income? Definitely. Um, My goal is to uh, have enough passive income to supplement my current income so I can retire. Okay. So uh, that first investment, you still have that property? Oh, no. No, I, that, that, that's been uh, sold uh, years ago. Oh, okay. So what are your thoughts on single family investing? Sure. So investing in single family is definitely a great way to build wealth um, if you're, you know, even as a long-term rental. That, but to really, uh, it, you have to look at your, your timeline as far as, you know, what that goal is um, to scale with single family, it's, it's really hard to do that. And I think if uh, you want to stay in the single family uh, market, well, then you need to also implement some wholesaling involved with that. Because uh, with wholesaling, it doesn't really take uh, a lot of capital. And you're still, you know, when you're looking at uh, scaling, uh, you know, as buying holds, you know, with single family, you need a lot of capital. And to supplement that capital, you know, then you can do some post-selling to kind of build the capital coming in and then to also uh, scale your business quicker. Okay, so we're going to stick to single family investing today. But um, 
do you have a long-term goal of maybe getting into multifamily? I'm looking at different ways of scaling. Um, I'm looking at note investing. I'm looking at uh, multifamily, um, smaller multifamilies that are owned by individuals, uh, you know, and possible building a syndication. But like you said, that's a whole different conversation. Okay. So with today's market conditions, what are your thoughts on single family investing for, say, someone starting out? And, uh, you know, it could be pretty pessimistic right now. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things you, you ask, uh, depending on what part of the state you're in, depending on what part of the country you're in, there's, it seems like there's a lot of confusion in the market right now. Um, whenever uh, last month's uh, housing data came out, it says that, you know, the, the over, overall real estate market is at the highest it's ever been with sales and with mortgages, new mortgages. But whenever you look at local markets, like here in Texas, like, you know, it's going to, it's going to vary in San Antonio, for instance, and that's primarily where I look at the market has taken a little bit of a decrease in price, uh, average sales price. And then also there's a lot of uh, properties that are staying dormant on the uh, market. So it shows that there's a lot, still a lot of pain in, in a lot of markets. And whenever you have uh, the interest rates increasing, obviously your buying power decreases. You know, whenever the market rates or the interest rates were 3, 3%, a $500,000 house is going to cost a lot less monthly than it would if it has an 8% interest rate. Uh, so you've got uh, different markets experiencing different things. Um, I think there's going to be some more pain ahead. I think uh, finishing out 2023, I think we'll still see another, at least one more uh, interest rate increase. Um, or that's, or at least uh, things are going to stay where they're at with the interest rates. Uh, and, and we won't see a decrease until probably uh, next year in uh, 2024. And even with that decrease, they're not going to decrease it by a point or two points. You know, they're going to decrease it probably a quarter to a half a point each, depending on what Jerome Powell believes and, and what the FOMC believe. You know, they don't want to they don't want the market to surge. And if they drop a point at a time or two points at a time, the market will rally again and, and inflation will you know, continue to stay high. So I think those those factors, you know, he's being uh, Jerome Powell and the FOMC, they're being very cautious right now. So it's there's going to be a lot more pain uh, continuing this year and next year. And I think in the next couple of years, uh, when the interest rates uh, start catching up with the higher interest rates and these properties start catching up with a lot of investors with their rental properties. I think even the rental markets are going to be increasing and that's going to cause a, create a lot of pain for people that rent houses and rent apartments. Um, yeah. Be a very challenging time. Um, and it's going to, and that's why your acquisition into rental properties is going to be, um, key, and uh, you really have to uh, open up, be open to learning different skill sets. Yeah, and when you're saying that uh, rents will get more expensive, so 
That reminds me of situations where, say, people want to get out of a house. So they might stay in a house because they got a good interest rate, but say they're in a situation where they want to get out of a house because it's an unsustainable environment for whatever reason. So um, you do creative financing. Yes. What are some techniques that you as an investor can use to get someone out of a tight spot if they want to get out of a home, but they they don't want to necessarily go directly into an apartment? What are some ways you can entice someone who wants to get out of a tricky living situation, but at the same time feels that they're stuck because of the interest rates? Sure. So, you know, the the, the best strategy to use um, in that case, whenever you have low equity, um, or an upside down mortgage. Let's say they bought at the peak of the market and they are they now have a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage and then their house is only worth two fifty or two seventy, two eighty. Um, we're seeing a lot of that out there. Um and the, the best way um an investor like myself will still uh look at a property and still um offer to take over payments for their mortgage and it's called a subject to transaction. Um, I can still, you know, especially if they have an interest rate that's 3%, 4%, I don't think we'll ever see those interest rates um, again or for several years. Um, so you want to, you know, as an investor, those that interest rate is just as uh, valuable as the actual property itself. And I'm okay with uh, taking a property that, it's upside down in the mortgage. And because I know that I'm going to hold it for a while and either sell it on a route or even as a long-term rental, you can still, it's still possible to even make that cash flow as a long-term rental. But those are some of the, um, and then of course you got to be creative with your exit too. But um, if, if it doesn't cash flow as a rental, but anyway, to help those sellers get out, um, I think subject to is, is going to be the the way to go. But it may not be the ideal situation for some people as well. Yeah. And subject to would at least give them some funds to get out of the situation and find a different place. Yeah. And and it may not, you know, that's going to be up to the individual investor. Um, some investors like to give them some money at closing just to help with moving costs. And, you know, but you, if you see a house on the market, you know, and they're already low equity or underwater, they may um, have to come cash out of pocket just to close. And, you know, of course, it's all up to open to negotiations. But, you know, if if I pay the realtor fees, you know, of 3% and pay for closing costs and take over payments, well, then that seller can actually get out of the house without paying anything out of pocket. Okay. So can you list some techniques that you have utilized over your investing career? And um, sure. which one would you think is best? With which one is best? That's going to depend on, on the person's exit strategy. Um, and, you know, that's a little subjective to a lot of um, a lot of strategies and a lot of uh, the way the investors think. But the easiest way I'll, I'll, I'll start that, you know, with my definition of what the easiest way to get in would be uh, to do a house hack, you know, and the reason for that is that you can buy a house. Uh, typically, the, the best idea would be getting a, a duplex, triplex, or a quadplex because FHA and uh, VA loans, uh, they will um, 
qualify for those smaller multifamily um, properties. And I think uh, that would be the easiest way with the lowest money down. Um, I think uh, FHA, you can get like what, 3% down or something like that, 3.5% down, and you can get a lower interest rate. Um, that's the easiest way uh, for someone to do this. Um, wholesaling, of course, is always uh, something that, that I've done and that has worked for me. Uh, a lot less risk involved. Uh, it takes a little bit of skill with understanding the market and getting a good price. And of course, your sales skills come in handy too. And then with uh, subject to transactions and then selling them on a route, um, that's what I'm implementing now. And, th and that's not really a, an entry level type technique because there's uh, in Texas, there's some laws that govern um, or making sure you're doing a subject to correctly. And uh, then also when your exit is around, there's some uh, um, other laws that come involved with, you know, disclosures and make sure you're uh, in compliance with some state and federal laws. Okay, so can you briefly explain the wrap? And you did touch on subject two a bit. We can circle back to that after, but can you briefly explain a wrap for the listeners? Yeah, sure. So a wrap is basically just owner financing. Um, whenever you have an underlying loan, let's, well, I'll give you one example that I'm working on now. Um, the underlying loan is 220,000 and the um, comps in the area are about 280. Uh, so there's a little bit of an equity piece there. And uh, if I owner finance it, I'm taking additional risks by owner financing. So what I'll do is I'll add uh, some manufactured equity, as they call it, uh, for my additional risk. So even though I have a loan that's for 220 and then I'm selling it for 300 that creates about an $80,000 worth of equity. Um, when you're owner financing on a route, I'm actually making two notes. Uh, the note for the 220 and that's the underlying loan, and then also the uh, the uh, manufactured equity uh, for the other piece. And then I'm selling it as, it's called a wraparound mortgage. So it encompasses, the way I like to think of it is it's wrapping around the existing or underlying loan and that equity. Okay. So you did mention manufactured equity, which some uh -huh. people might know it as forced equity. Yeah, um, it could be that called too. <laughs> so to the listeners, just briefly, it's when you add value to the home in some way. Um, one example could be different, various upgrades, uh, repairs. Is that correct? Well, it's it's actually, um, it can be that. Or it could just be uh, forced equity uh, or um, is just my risk in owner financing. Because if I'm owner financing it to someone and that maybe not be able to qualify for a traditional FHA loan, or if they um, are self-employed, you know, or maybe their credit requirements aren't uh, to the standard level. So I'm taking an extra risk by owner financing it to a subprime uh, consumer or borrower. Um, I take that risk of possible foreclosure you know, an additional risk. So it's, in a sense, it's not really value add when you're looking at the actual property. 
it's covering my risk, potential risk. Okay. And we'll get into that more in a future episode because I I have some questions about that. Um, So you mentioned you started at 18. So it's, or sorry, 19. So it's been Uh a while. Um, What are some gotchas or some things that uh, people should watch out for when they get into real estate investing to mitigate losses or getting into a bad deal? So that's actually a great question because I'm experiencing a potential bad deal right now. Um, With an investment in real estate, uh, there's always going to be some kind of risk involved. Actually, any kind of investment, there's a risk. Uh, The best way to mitigate those risks is to make sure you have capital, access to capital. And that could be from um, business lines of credit, you know, business credit cards, uh, and of course, I say those things because typically you don't want to hurt your personal business or your personal uh, credit. You know, with when, when you have a high utilization, it it really affects uh, negatively affects your personal credit. So you try to do everything on business credit. Um, or another way to mitigate, you know, or have access to capital is just make sure you have ten to fifteen thousand dollars in reserves, um, just to make sure you know something comes up or or to handle to mitigate you know that you know, unexpected expense. Um, And then, uh, of course, another way to mitigate risk is to have multiple exit strategies in mind. And you look at the ones that will offer uh, a a greater return. Okay. Have you done any partnerships and um, have you been in any risky situations with that? Oh, sure. Um, Like, uh, you know, I've taken on a partner where we uh, had a 50-50% split you know, uh, on, on expense and on, um, uh, a profit, you know, and that's been a good partnership with that. Um, and then also I've had a private money lender, um, come in on, on the deal that I, that I said, I have a bad deal. Now I initially thought it was only going to be a small portion of the rehab. And I had a private money lender come in and give me uh, 30,000, to in you know my rehab is going to end up being uh, closer to probably fifty thousand. So I needed those rehab. I needed. I'm glad that I had the access to that extra capital. And if I needed to go back, there's enough equity in that property that I could go get a another private money lender. However, they would take a third position lien, and they may not want to do that. So I'd have to uh, probably find a. Uh, an equity partner if if I needed to go back and get more more capital. Okay, so a lay person might say there's some equity in the property. I could get a HELOC or something like that. Um, why would you not do that? And is it just uh, more of a lay person would see that as an option, but a private um, money lender would give you better terms, for example? Well, yeah, so finding a HELOC or finding a lender for a HELOC on an investment property is going to be uh, challenging. Um, And then also finding a HELOC that will take a third position would be challenging as well. Yeah, no. And um, and then also most HELOCs on investment properties will only go up to like 70, maybe 75% of the value. 
Um, so and those are viable for certain properties, but when you have a property that needs that needs work, uh, you're not going to get probably a, a, a HELOC to, um, you know, for that investment property, unless if it's appraising at top value. Um, I, there are some people that will get a HELOC on their primary residence, and that's how they start investing in real estate. Uh, that's not something that I've ever undergone, uh, but I know people do that as well. Okay. Can you expand on the uh, single family market conditions today before we close? Um, just a more on what you stated before, inflation and other factors that are affecting the single family market. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I kind of left hanging there was the rental rates are going to be increasing. And I'd like to, to explore the commercial uh, property aspect uh, regarding uh, apartment complexes and the loans that they are in. When we saw low interest rates, a lot of apartment complexes and these are the 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 property owners, uh, they went and refinanced into these lower interest rates uh, so they could get a better return for their investment or investors. Well, I think it's several trillion. I don't know the exact number, but a trillion is a lot of dollars. Um, and there's over a trillion dollars that will be ballooning at the end of this year. So whenever you get an apartment complex loan or a loan for a, a large multifamily project, you know, uh, typically those loans are ballooned in three to five years. Well, there's a large percentage of those that are ballooning at the end of this year. So that means they're going to have to refinance it into a, another loan where they might have, they might be currently under a 4% interest rate, but now they're going to have to refinance at an 8% interest rate. Well, you're going to have a lot of properties um, that are increasing. Yeah. And if they are able to refinance, they're going to have to increase uh, the rent rates. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you have a lot of residents that are already there that have a year-long lease under the old rental rate. So, you know, they'll be protected, but these new renters will come in and have to pay, you know, two, three hundred or more dollars a month to help cover their minimum debt service, you know, on the apartment uh, uh, loan side, right? So it's it's going to be um, either that or you're going to have a lot of apartment complexes just default on their loans. Um, and if that happens, then you'll have these large, huge, uh, or, or these huge uh, hedge funds coming in and they'll be buying all of this debt, this, all this bad debt. And I don't know exactly how that will look with the consumer, but it's, I don't know exactly either that or maybe government bailouts, you know, uh, something's going to have to happen. And, and, and what's really bad is that not many people specifically talking about the apartment complex issue, you know, and how that's going to affect the rent rates. Mm -hmm. Well, we're running out of time, but um, yeah, we definitely have to look more into that just as consumers. Can you provide tips or motivating words on how to navigate investing, um, the investing days ahead based on what you said? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the big thing is um, some of the motivating words would be to know your market. Um, be careful, you know, with uh, getting into uh, any type of new debt at the 8% interest rates. Um, if you get into new debt at 8%, uh, you will need to probably uh, look at different exit strategies, um, be open to, uh, you know, just all the, whether it be midterm or corporate rentals, look into, you know, owner financing, the, you know, nonetheless, if you have enough capital reserves to be a negative cash flow each month on a long-term rental, uh, you need to be open to other strategies and, and try to do subject to as much as possible to be able to get some of these lower interest rates. And that's, that's about it. That's, that's all the advice I have. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining me, James. And we will be having an episode in the future. And I look forward to you expanding on your knowledge. Thank you very much for having me. That concludes my interview with James McDaniel. I hope you all were able to take some lessons away from this interview. And please tune in for a future episode with Mr. McDaniel for more in-depth real estate investment advice. Thank you for listening and remember to stay strong and well.